Learning a thousand door slams like revolutionized the way that he thought. How did that door knocking develop that resiliency inside of you? It allowed me to adapt and accept rejection and absorb it in a way that's not personal. This is the Full Stack Sales Pro. What up, Full Stack crew? We're super excited. Um, I hope that you have been just enjoying every one of these episodes. I very much have, uh, like last, I guess the last week that we dropped with John, Jess, Jeremy, uh, Taylor. It's it's just been man, so much knowledge, so much info. So we're excited that you're here. We're excited that you're listening. Again, uh, always share, always like do all the good things and just make sure that if you're getting something out of it, you're able to pass it on. Um, without further ado, we're going to hop into today's guest, Jonathan Gaspard. Um, I love uh, this man, honestly, because he he actually is the godfather to my son. So we're super close and I know a ton of things about him, but I'm very excited about you guys learning about his experience in sales because it's something that he's pretty much been doing his whole entire life. He's built quite the empire down there in Texas. And I'm just very excited, um, like I always say, uh, for you guys to just get to know him a little bit more. So uh, Jonathan, what is up? How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh... I'm excited about doing the podcast with you. I was excited. Heck yeah, dude. Well, do this because, again, I know a ton about you. I know uh, uh, just, I mean, all the things that you've gone through, all the good, the bad, the ugly, and how you're still just standing here rocking. Obviously, you got the uh, beautiful logo on on the hat and on the shirt, which I love. Um, Give us a backstory. Break us in. You know, you can go 30,000 foot view and then break it all the way down. But how did you even get into sales or, you know, and then which led you to where you're at today? Uh, well, I was born and I mean, I feel like sales is part of everyday life. Uh, I think you guys have covered that. Um, so I, I I mean, go back, obviously I'm in roofing. Um, I've had a roofing company now in Dallas, Fort Worth for 18 years. Uh, before that though, I mean, I'm fifth generation roofing company or fifth generation roofing I've done in my entire life. And when I was 18, I moved to Dallas and uh, went to Bible school here in Dallas. And then uh, right after graduating, I was looking for a job and I was trying to uh, to get a job with a roofing company doing the labor side of it here in Dallas. And the owner of the company was like, no, I think you need to do sales. And I was like, I don't want to do sales. I, 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 I mean, roofing is what I know. It's what I've done uh, my whole life. And he's like, no, 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 just try sales. Just try sales for a little bit. I was like, okay. So I tried sales and um, uh, it, it clicked with my personality and I liked it. Uh, I liked the challenge of it. Um, I like being able to kill what I eat, kill and eat what I, what I hunt. Uh, I like the personal growth challenges that come every day with sales. Cause you, you can't just sit back and, uh, think something's going to happen. You have to get out there and make it happen every single day. And my personality is the type that, uh, I, I don't want to be told what I, can do or can't do. I want to get out there and figure out what I can and can't do on my own terms. And so, yeah, sales is a natural fit for me. Uh, so I did that for a number of years and became the number one sales guy in that company um, after probably a year and a half. And then uh, I decided to go be a youth pastor for a couple of years. And 
tried ministry which is sales years, in general and then came back i mean to you're re- just selling people on it is it <laughs> a, is a belief in a system influencing them <laughs> true and then um so i decided to come back to roofing after a number of years of that and uh, i came in with another company and decided to start my own company because i was like you know what i've been doing this my whole life uh i want to be able to control the quality of the installs i want to be able to control kind of the details of what happens to the field and at the same time i want to try my hand at actually running my own company so about 18 years ago uh, we started a company and uh, here we are today that's a 10,000. nice nice and tell us about um the current company you know what are the type of numbers the volume that you guys are doing do you have a sales team all of those things Mm-hmm. So right now we uh, we're running. Uh, last year we ended our biggest year. I, I would say we were a slow burn because we stayed kind of small for the first two thirds of the company, uh, for two thirds of the life of the company, and then something clicked. And I was like, you know what? We're just going to bust mm-hmm. this out. And so we we grew from about a two or three million dollar company three and a half four years ago to fifteen and a half million dollars ending last year. And then this year's goal is twenty one million. And then uh, we are looking to the, the the path that I put in front of the team right now is to try to get to a hundred million in five years, which is a thirty two percent year after year growth. Uh, right now, our sales team is fairly small, but the size of the projects that we do really helps facilitate those kinds of numbers. Right now, I think we have about five guys mm-hmm. in sales uh, total, and the vast majority of the work we've been doing right now has been defense department, military, government work. Uh, for the last two years and that's gotten to be the vast majority of our receipts our income but i've tasked the team starting about two and a half months ago to reestablish our local footprint and commercial we're st- we still do a little bit of residential as it falls in our lap but we really focus on commercial and uh, local i mean central texas up to tulsa from louisiana over to you know Amarillo, that to, that to yeah. us is local. So task them to reestablish so our local footprint. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just a couple of miles. Um, to reestablish our local footprint because we have gotten so invested and involved in the Defense Department um, side of it. And that comes with a lot of pros and cons, just like the private sector comes with pros and cons. And I've, uh, I told the team, I was like, listen, this is a race we're going to run on two legs. It's going to be the government and it's going to be the private sector. Those are the two legs we need to run and they need to be at the same length. And so we need to reestablish ourselves locally in the same, without pulling out of the government sector. We just need to balance yeah, that yeah. team. So that's, that's where we're at right now. So right now we have about $23 million worth of uh, contracts going into 2024 as of right now. So we've already, we're already kind of chipping away at the next yeah, two years. Yeah. And those are extremely long sales cycles. I mean, some people are used to like very long sales cycles. I know sometimes a lot of our listeners are used to like, you know, two week sales cycles or, you know, sometimes two day sales cycles for that type of growth to do 30%, year on year and average, but it be a year too long, two year long cycle. It's like, oh my gosh. But let's dive back into company one, your first venture into sales before you like become, you know, a roofing conglomerate. What, what was that company, by the way? Nation's so roofing. it was a roofing company in Dallas, that Texas. you also learned sales in. Yeah. So I, I went into the company already right. doing roofing, which is backwards to the way that I found, I didn't know it on that day at that time, but 
through my time in roofing now, I realize most people, I would roughly say 98, 99% of people get into roofing sales. It's the opposite. They get in because they're in sales and then they have to learn roofing. I came into it already knowing roofing and having to figure out what, what's the sales technique? How do you overcome an objection? When somebody says no, is that personal? Is that a final no? It's not always a final no. It's never how personal. Did you, how do you know? Um, you know, a, a lot of that stuff. How do you know roofing? When you say, I already knew roofing. Let us understand that real quick. So uh, the installation tactics. So what the crews do, they go up there, the tear off, how to do the install, how to do the valleys correctly, how to tie in over a ridge. You know, just, I mean. I, I mean, like you the, actually I'm got on the roof. I'm a nerd when it comes to roofing. So I could go into yeah, real Yeah, you minutia. actually got on the roof. Okay, yeah. so you were actually doing the labor. I mean, yeah. freaking getting pounded by the sun, yes. you know, climbing all over the freaking rafters and everything. And then you got into sales. Yeah, the entire first half of my life, like I said, I'm fifth generation. Um, I grew up my entire first half of my life actually physically doing the work with my grandfather and my dad on the roof. So, I mean, my on my 10th birthday, uh, my dad, I would go to work with my dad before. Oh, nobody, no child labor law people are listening right now. But I go to work with my dad in the summer and um, I kept wanting him to teach me how to nail on a shingle, you know, like actually install the shingles. Cause at, up to that point, he would let me tear off. He would let me clean up. He would let me do all these things, but he wouldn't teach me how to nail on because his dad didn't teach him until he was 10. So at 10, I remember on my birthday, um, some people think this is weird. I actually think it's beautiful because I'm like, there's, I'll say this, there's no greater gift a father can give a son than having a trade to fall back on. And I'm beyond grateful that my, my dad took the time to sow into me something that is now a blessing to my family. Uh, and so at 10 years old, he took me to go get my first hammer and nail labor mm. uh, at West Hardware Material in Marietta, Georgia, or Smyrna, Georgia. I remember it. And he took me to the, to the job that day. And he taught me how to hand nail shingles. And I remember being so excited, so excited that my dad was finally teaching me mm -hmm. how to nail on shingles. And from there on, I mean, I, I tell you what, the life I lived as a high schooler was much different. Um, partially because I was, it was a hybrid between homeschooling and private schooling. So it was a little bit different there. But also after school every day, I would go to work mm -hmm. with my dad. Um, when I was homeschooled, I'd work really hard to try to finish my work by lunchtime. So when my dad would come home for lunch, I could go mm -hmm. to work with him. And what that allowed me to do was have my own budget. And learn, it taught me how to handle money, taught me how to budget. If I wanted something, I needed to mm -hmm. save up for it. Um, I remember the very first time my parents taught me that was, um, my parents were never very well to do. My, my dad was obviously very blue collar, roofing on, on the roof his entire life to retirement. Uh, I wanted a $50 Omega Supreme and back in the, back when I was a kid, 50 bucks was a lot of money. And, uh, remember a Toys R Us at 50 bucks. My parents were like, we're not buying you a $50 toy. It's not going to happen. Um, and Omega Supreme is a transformer. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you remember that, but I remember, uh, but my dad was like, if you save up your money, you can do it. So I don't remember if I was nine or 10 years old, but it was right around that age. I was like, you know what? That's what I want to do. And so I worked my tail off with my dad to save 50 mm. bucks. And then you know what the greatest feeling in the world was? Walking into Toys R Us as a kid, wanted my money 
going, I want that. And then walking out with it. Not because my parents gave it to me, but because I worked for it. You know what? I cherished that thing. And that carried on all the way through my life now. I mean, I, I bought, paid cash for my first car. Um, I got to go pick out the one I wanted. I worked for it. I knew what the budget was, picked it out, paid cash for it. And that car lasted me all the way through college, you know, and that kind of work ethic is, it's not just a trade that I'm grateful for my dad. It's a work ethic. It's waking me up at five 30 in the morning as a teenager going, get in the truck, we're going to work and then working in a hot sun till five or six o'clock at night and then getting off. But how did that, I am curious, how did that translate into that first sales job? Because I mean, what you're talking about is legendary type of stuff. You know what I mean? How did it translate? So it, 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 it translated in the fact that I wasn't scared to get out on my own. Cause, cause a lot of people need a boss to tell them you be here at eight o'clock and you're here till five and you punch that clock. And if there's not somebody standing over you, making sure you're punching that clock at eight, it's real hard to get out of bed at eight o'clock on your own accord on your own volition and make something happen. So having that mentality put into me and, and drilled into me as a young age of like, this is what you need to do. Get up every day, make it happen. And not, you're not always going to have somebody there to, to make it, to, to make you do that. You have a choice, right? For, for example, when I was in high school, my dad didn't make me go to work after lunch. And I wanted to go to work. So it, it was, it was this inner thing of like, I want something, I need to go do it. Not, I want something, give it to me. And so as a 19 year old, freshly graduated from college, I knew, I, you know, I'm going to go work. So I was going to go wake up at 5am and get on a hot roof every single day in Dallas, Texas. Well, the same work ethic applies to sales. Cause guess what? You have to wake up every day and be like, I'm going to get out in the field, whether it's on a call or a door knock. Um, you got to get quote unquote out of the truck, right? You got to make that decision to pick up that phone, open that door, go up to that house, knock on that door, walk up to that business, pull that door, have that conversation. And there's got to be something inside of you that motivates you to do that, to do that next call. Like after 10 no's, what's going to keep you from going and sulking in front of your TV or at a bar because like, Oh, I feel so rejected. It's going to be that inner thing of like, you know what? I got 10 no's. That means uh, by the law of averages, the next one should be a yes. It's that turning that box and having that work ethic of I'm going to do what it takes to get the job done. Cause I remember one thing when I was younger, uh, the majority of my years roofing was in uh, new Orleans, yeah. South Louisiana, very humid, very hot. And I would be working with my grandfather and my dad, like I said, and I remember my cousin and I would take heat breaks, water breaks down in the shade against the wall. And there was more than one time we would hear my grandfather from up on the roof going, I'm not paying you guys to take breaks. Get back up here. And it would be in, in a good way, a shaming that this 60 year old grandfather is still up on a roof, like outworking his teenage, uh, nephew and a grandson, you know, we're like, we got to get our butts in gear. We got to get back up there or else this old man's going to make us very embarrassed. And, and that is a good thing because that is still an image I have in my head of 
my grand like my grandfather was never going to allow somebody else to mm. outwork him. And I was like, you know what? I'm never going to allow somebody else to outwork mm. me. I'm going to be the one that's going to outwork. How, okay, so then when you get into sales, and obviously there is a learning curve because mm-hmm. no matter how much knowledge you have, I tell people all the time, I'm like, you could have all the tactics in the world, but if you don't understand what you're actually trying to do it and you don't understand the order and the sequence of how they work, it, it, they're pointless. They pack no punch. They have no potency. Do you feel like yeah. what was built inside of you, that resilience, helped you? Because, I mean, door knocking is no... Like we had, um, we had a friend on here um, before, uh, a guest, and he door knocked for ADT, you know what I mean? So security and stuff like that. And he was like, that learning a thousand door slams like revolutionized the way that he thought about sales. And now he's in commercial real estate and stuff like that. How did that door knocking develop yeah. that resiliency inside of you? It allowed me to adapt and accept rejection and absorb it in a way that's not mm. personal and keep moving in my life. And that that's, that's has been something that's been applicable in many aspects of my life of, I mean, nobody likes being rejected. I don't care who you are. You can be the greatest sales yeah. guy in the world. Um, I, I mean, Donald Trump, you, you watch him talk, he acts like he doesn't care. And there, there's probably an aspect of it, but we're all human. Mm-hmm. There's something inside all of us that, there, there is something. So it's a matter of how do you handle that? How do you process it? Yeah. How do you absorb it? So being able to figure out that that is separate than who I am and it's not my identity, that rejection doesn't define who I am is one thing. That's how it's, it's helped me. Also, it's helped me realize that um, my philosophy on sales has evolved from when mm. I first started. Um, and I wouldn't say I necessarily had a philosophy. I mean, you can have a philosophy without realizing that you have a philosophy um, and, and dubbing it a philosophy. It's if you have an idea or a framework that you're operating in, that's a philosophy, whether you want to right. call it that or not. When I first started, it was how much money can I make? Like I need to, I need to figure out, you know, how to make money, yep. get to this level next thing. And there still is that aspect. Obviously, you want personal goals. There's nothing wrong with personal goals. So what I'm about to say doesn't trump Mm -hmm. that. But what I have come to realize is it's not about what I can do or what that person can give me. It's what am I offering that person to help Mm -hmm. them. When I made it less selfish and more serving, my sales went through the roof because people smell Mm -hmm. things. And... At the, at the end of the day, if they're sitting in front of somebody and they feel like they're trying to get, that person's trying to take something from them, their response is going to be much different than if they're sitting across from somebody who feels like they're trying, that person's trying to mm. give them something. And yes, sales is transactional. I mean, yes, I, you give me, I give you, right? I give you the service, you give mm. me this cash, right? That There is that transaction. But realizing what is my true heart intent in sitting in front of this person? Is it to get their money in my hand? Because if so, sales are going to be very hard for you. Um, as opposed to if you're sitting down going, what can I offer you? And that's the difference I try to tell my sales team is they don't care about the roof. They don't care about you, to be honest. But you need to care about them. 
And that's the reason you don't sit down. A lot of here's where a lot of sales guys make a mistake, and, and I've seen a lot of sales scripts, and I'm like, these scripts are <laughs> terrible. Don't do this. Is here's what I have. Here's what I can do. Here's what I I I I I I I I I. Here's our product. Mine, mine, mine. Like I want to do your roof. I want to do this free inspection. I have this package I want to give you. We have this maintenance program. We it's it's everything me 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 instead of like how can I help you? What what is your what is your problem? And there's there's a process that's called the step up uh, sales, and it's and I found this very very powerful. And it's four steps: is survey the situation, take them to their pain, extend their pain in the future, and yep. provide a solution. And all of that can happen within like mm-hmm. forty five seconds. So it's not like a drawn out multi hour thing. And I'll give you an example of something that because uh, I was having them role play two weeks ago, and one of the new guys. I was like, well, what, what is something you're having a problem with? And they're like, well, uh, you're the you're the 50th door knocker today. And I was like, and what's your response to that? And he says, well, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to. I was like, no, you don't say that. I was like, you know what your first thing is? Is, Well, I can be your last one. <laughs> Yo. Because you know what? They just told you. They just told you their pain. What is their pain? Their pain is not the hail damage on their roof. Their pain is not any water damage on the roof. Their pain is, I'm sick and tired of people knocking mm-hmm. on the door. Okay, well, how can you fix that? You fix that with the fact that, here's the deal. You know that they have a damaged roof, and somebody's going to do that roof. But that's not their pain. I can help you with your pain by stopping the door knocks. And here's how I can stop your door knocks. Has nothing to do with the roof. Screw the roof. Stop the door Everything knocks. you're saying right now is like, <clears throat> we have two completely different industries. Like, my sales team and who we help and, and your sales team from, from an actual solution and the product and service that we sell, they're completely different, but it's so funny how aligned they actually are. Even today, when we were talking to our SDRs, you know, who are calling, you know, warm leads and things like that. I'm just like, guys, if you, if you make it weird, it's weird. If you sound like every other person and you're trying to show somebody why we're better, you've already lost. We are not here to convince anyone. We are here to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And th- this is the number one thing we say. And, and, and it just launched. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw, but we launched today our Reflex Selling. Me and Taylor did a whole brand new training on it. And it's just us talking like this of like how we've sold as much as we sold. Because it really comes down to to help the prospect make the best decision for themselves. It always comes down to that. If I am truly yeah. here to serve... And yeah, how do you get that? You, by asking questions. And yeah. the only way that you can get that is you Bingo. have to ask questions yeah. to expand the gap. You have to, because reality is the prospect thinks that mm-hmm. they're here and their solution is here. But the rea- that's perceived reality. Reality is actually this. But until you widen that gap, yeah. they'll never realize it. And the way you widen that gap is by asking questions. That's the most brilliant thing that somebody could say. It's like, well, you're another door knocker. Great. Do you want me to be the last one? Because we could totally take care of that right now. And then most likely they'll laugh and be like, whoa, what do you mean? It's like, well, sounds like you don't want to be bothered anymore. And you want to just go back up to your normal life that you love and that you're happy with. So I would love to see you actually achieve that. How will we have a talk about that? And then they'll be like, oh, oh, well, okay, come on. You know what I mean? It's like, it's always in about like, Mm -hmm. what would you do in a normal conversation? And here, and here's the deal: is that one question? It just mm-hmm. took one question. Would you like me to be the last? 
I, I didn't have to say anything else. You know the answers. Don't ask questions that you don't know the answer to. That's that's mm-hmm. key too. And if if there's going to be yes or no questions, have a pre-framed, predetermined response to yep. either answer. So it doesn't matter if they say yes or no. You already know where you're going to go with them because do you believe? And here's the go sorry, go go, go no. This you're is you're in a great role. I really appreciate it. The, here's the thing too is. Do you truly, and this is this is really key, do you as a salesperson truly believe that the product you're offering them will add value to their life? Because if you don't, you say no to that or I don't know to that, you will have a hard time, if not direct failure in sales. You have to believe that what you're offering them will add value to them or that you won't be able to sell it. You have to truly believe that. So it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's leadership or, or roofing or whatever. I truly believe, and I'll take it to um, how we approach our uh, commercial mm-hmm. clients. And, and this is, people can sit there and be like, you know, come up with sales techniques, whatever. To me, a sales technique is pointless if it's not yep. grounded in truth. Yeah. You have to be honest. And the truth is, um, when we're approaching commercial clients, they truly don't care about their roof. They don't. Nine times out of 10. Every once in a while you might find somebody's like, oh yeah, you know what? I actually need to get my roof done. You know what they care about? Money. How can I save you money? Well, how can I save you money whenever I'm trying to ask mm-hmm. for money? Well, you save money by the fact that we approach it of, I understand you have a capital X fund. You have a capital X fund, right? Well. If I could get your insurance to pay for your roof and free up your CapEx funds where you can go invest in another property and have a return on that CapEx fund instead of sitting in an account somewhere, okay, five minutes of your time. Because you know what? I just spoke to what they care about. They're business yeah. people. They care about their CapEx funds. Oh, you can free up my CapEx fund so I can do something else with it. I can go to Cancun with it. I don't care what you yeah. want to do with it. Yeah, because... You know what? Now I'm adding value to you to do something that betters either your business or your personal life or anything else by allowing me to take this problem off of your plate. And then you can take those funds and do whatever you want with it. I just added value to you. So figuring out, like, I truly do believe we as a roofing company add value to yeah. our clients. And how do we do that? The only way we do that is figure out what that individual needs because it's not a cu- cookie cutter copy paste them. So hopefully, hopefully it didn't derail you because I really liked what you were saying. Phenomenal. I, I think um, I was on a call yesterday and we were training some of our, our clients and we were doing some role plays, which by the way, when you said that y'all are doing role plays, I, if you have a sales team and you're watching or listening to this podcast right now and you are not doing role plays, that would be the equivalent of a you know an NBA team preparing for a championship and never practicing, never looking at game tape, never looking at what happened on other things, never going back over the fundamentals. You you are setting yourself up for failure. Role playing is absolutely amazing. We literally do it every day. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. We will do role plays every day. Now, addressing the belief. If you do not believe that your solution will actually solve somebody's problem, your time at said company is short. It, it has an expiration date on it because at some point you can only manufacture belief for so long. 
You can only manufacture trying to like if you if you got any two cents about you and you're a human being, right? Some some aspect of your life it has to have some integrity to it. And if you don't have any integrity, then you're gonna I mean, sure, maybe you can, you know, sell snake oil all you want. But the reality is when I see sales professionals have careers, like a longevity, like yourself, you know, 18 years with this one business, that has happened because of your belief, the integrity, your conviction. I mean, I I could drop you anywhere in the world and you could sell a roof. Because at the end of the day, you know, somebody has a problem and I'll have a solution for that. I tell people sales is simple. It's not easy, but it sure as hell is simple. You know what I mean? So I love that. Looking at your teams, mm-hmm. your your business can, can can sometimes be volatile if you, at, at least at the beginning, before you got you know the much larger, bigger contracts, much you know bigger sales cycles, and all of that. When you were just kind of chasing storms, like most guys who get into roofing at the very very beginning, mm-hmm. you know you you scale up. Your, your, your crew, and then you'll scale them down and stuff like that. How do you deal with your sales teams like that? Keeping them motivated, keeping them energized, keeping them committed and not wanting to just bounce to the next new startup roofing company, you know, in Texas that pop up <laughs> thousands every season. Culture, culture, mm-hmm. culture. People, people don't leave jobs. They leave mm-hmm. bosses. People don't leave jobs. They leave mm-hmm. cultures. Um, that is something that uh, was told to me in the last six to eight months. And I've, I've been digesting that and really thinking through that. And I truly do believe that that is true is people don't just go somewhere because they got better pay. If there, there's some, that may be an ingredient in the pie, but there's always more than one ingredient in, in anything you make. Um, at the end of the day, I believe people leave people. So creating a culture where people want to stay, and just being bluntly honest, we're, we're actually going through a pretty stormy season right now as a company, even with our amazing sales and growth, it's some serious growing pains through. We've had in the past year embezzlement, we've had uh, a bad employee do misbid some projects that yeah. we're hurting on, you know, and that's actually in, in a good way. Um, I, I had somebody tell me last week, uh, I'm in the state guard and we were, uh, we're doing a search and rescue training and our, uh, our, one of the majors told us is like, cause we couldn't find our victim. It's like, we don't lose here. We win or we learn, mm. but there's no losing. And that's one thing that I'm looking, I was like, I, I grabbed onto that statement and I'm applying it to the season. I'm in is like, no, that's, we didn't lose, even though, you know, we're having to go through some bumpy stuff right now. We're learning because we're actually, this has given us insight to create some systems and processes that we weren't able, we didn't have before. And this is germane to the question because through this, I've realized that there were some frustrations in the team that I didn't know needed to be addressed, that this brought to light because of our lack of systems and processes uh, and holding Mm. to them. And so it's, listening keeping your finger constantly on the pulse of your team and letting them know that you care uh is a big deal uh, somebody um somebody called it rubbing mm-hmm. sheep's ears is uh shepherds when they walk through the field uh, you might have been no 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 i'm in i'm just into this it's basically uh what 
what shepherds do to keep their sheep calm is they'll walk through the herd and just take the tips of their ears and just rub their ears to let them know they're there. And the leader that I was talking to was likening that to walking through your team and just having a touch point with them, just a brief conversation. Hey, how you doing? Are you doing okay? Oh, like it doesn't have to be anything deep. It can go out to coffee. It could go lunch, but it could also just be walking by their desk or shooting them a text or an email. Hey, are you doing okay? Um, it's taking that, taking their ear and just rubbing their ear to let them know that, Hey, the leadership's here. We care. Are you okay? You good? And people buy into that. And I will tell you that, um, this season has actually brought our team closer together, not further apart. And, uh, it's, I think if we didn't have the culture that we had, we would have had more, um, uh, loss on our team mm-hmm. than we did. Uh, but instead people stuck around what? and it's been awesome. And one could say yeah. though, also the flip side to culture is you had people stay because the culture demanded one way and the people who shouldn't be there and got exposed is because culture exposed them. Cause I've been seeing this a lot, like in Delta training, CL yeah. training, things of that nature and studying some of these things where it's like, I want a culture in our sales team. So like the parameters and the guidelines are so crystal clear that they know what success and excellence looks like to where they, we call it ringing the bell here. You know, just kind of, you know, not, you know, pulling from the seal mm-hmm. culture, which is, listen, either you want this and you are locked in with us and we fight till the death on this thing, or you're going to ring that bell to let us know this is not what you want. And that's actually okay. It's okay that you want, it's okay. Totally that you okay. Ring the bell. It's okay that you want to say, guys, I'm actually not going to be able to give you what you need as a team and as a culture. And, and what I want is now different. And it's like, we, we welcome people to ring the bell, not as a like, you know, screw you ring the bell, but more or less like, Hey, I actually want you to have the best thing in life that you want and chase down what you want in life. And, and then from there, you know, run with it. But if you're here, this is what we're going to do, which then allows you to do the rubbing of the ears shepherd which you we should make some shirts as like you know have you rubbed your sh- your sheep's ears lately or something just some weird random thing <laughs> yeah i actually love that because i one thing that in in early on i i was i was completely guilty of this is not firing mm. quick enough and a lot of people look at firing or letting go as a negative thing and in reality uh, holding on to a person in a position that they don't belong in is actually cruel. It's 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 selfish on the leader's part because they, the leader is either thinking one of two things. Um, if I let him go, that means more work for me. Selfish. If I have to have this conversation, it's going to be uncomfortable for me and I'm going to feel bad. Yep. Selfish. If you have somebody who's not in that the position they need to be in, you are doing them a massive disservice because what would they be doing if they were in a position that they were good at, like, or made for? And everyone has a different personality, right? That's that's why some people flourish in positions where other people don't because we're all wired differently. And that's okay. We're different. And if you, as a leader, are unwilling to have those hard conversations because of how it makes you feel, 
shame on you. Yeah, it's 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 good to have that kind of weeding out and pruning. Um, there's a book right now I'm reading called Necessary Endings, and man, yeah. it's 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 I highly recommend it. Doctor Henry Cloud, very yeah. good book. But as a leader, your responsibility to be a good leader is to know when to assist moving somebody into a healthier yeah. place. That doesn't mean your place is unhealthy. It doesn't mean they're unhealthy. It means that that place, the seat on the bus, is not supposed to be yeah. filled by them. No. That's okay. That's good, man. That's good. Well, I know that we probably I, I've taken up maybe a little bit more of your time than we originally planned, but this was good. I love this. The culture aspect, the the understanding why you're doing what you're doing, the power of the belief and 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 where you're operating from, and it's like it, it's so true. All all the tactics in the world. They, they mean nothing if they're not seated in the truth and the belief of what it is that you're selling, as well as when you truly understand what it is that you're doing what, by serving the client and the prospect, actually all the tactics just start overflowing from that place because now you know what your end outcome is. And when you know what your outcome is, it's like any question or response. Yeah. It's, it's very simple. As simple as you're the 50th person knock my door. Great. I will, would you like it to be the last? You know what I mean? It's like, that's just a very normal question. Yeah. You know what I mean? So absolutely amazing to yeah. go. Yeah. Well, one, one thing was like, you're a musician. I'm a musician. We've played together. I, I was just had this uh, analogy in my head while you're talking about like, yes, it's the truth. Yes. It's believing and all that, but it's so important to get the, the basics down because you know how much easier it is to flow in music and free flow and just have fun when you've rehearsed the basics so much that they just come natural. Mm -hmm. You can't just do that free flow, ease ease of movement, unless you've put in all the practice required to have mm -hmm. that. Sales is the same way. You can have the belief, you can have all that, and that's great, and that's necessary and important. But if you don't have the the tactics down, like you said, to a point where it's just free flow, it's real hard to, to go yep. into jam. I, I could not agree with you more. Absolutely amazing place to even kind of button and wrap this up. Um, hey, listen, if you're anywhere in the state of Texas or Louisiana or Oklahoma, and you need anything of any business related to construction, roofing, uh, restoration on a home, you guys need to hit up Restoration Roofing um, and, and hit them up and chat with them. Uh, Jonathan, where, where can people find you or connect with you if they wanted to engage with you? Or maybe somebody actually wants to come and work for a great leader like you and a growing team, because if you guys are going to 100 million soon, that means you're gonna need people helping you do that. So where would people go to find you? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, on the web, restorationroofingusa.com is our website. Um, you can email me at Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at restorationroofingusa.com. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Amazing. Those are probably gonna be the best places. Heck yeah, I love it. We'll also put all of that in the comments so everyone can clearly see that. Um, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your time and your just your wisdom of what you've experienced over the last I mean, hell, 20, 25 years of just serving, uh, selling, building a business, a multi-million dollar business, and just going from what you've gone through, man. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Full Set Crew, as always, we're super grateful for you guys. Thank you for watching, listening. Again, the best thing that you could ever do for us, and the only thing we ever ask for you to do is simply just share. If you heard something, you liked something, something inspired you, and it took you to a place where you're like, yo, this is really helpful, then make sure that you share an episode. You know, share the YouTube link, like it, all the good things. But again, we're grateful for you. And until next time, 